Welcome to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. We've been reading the headlines about Brexit, and we see from the outside that this seems to be a, you know, a political movement driven by a country that needs to establish its own identity again. But what's beneath all that? Is Brexit uh, uh, an economic movement? Is it a political movement? Or is it something based on faith? I wanted to talk to somebody to sort of get the view from the front lines, but not just somebody from the UK. I wanted to find someone who is an outside observer of this, but who is on the ground. And I was very fortunate a little while ago to meet Ben Catano, who lives in London and works in risk. Now, this is an ideal combination because he has the discipline of risk. He, he lives the world of risk every day, and he is in the middle of all this froth and foam that is Brexit. So I brought him along just to give us a perspective, a didn't-see-it-coming perspective, on Brexit and his impressions. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us. You've been living the whole Brexit thing since the inception. What on earth is going on behind (laughs) the scenes? Well... We had Brexit day one this week. March the 29th was the day that the UK government formally said to the EU, we're out. And this has been obviously the result of this referendum that was uh, o- that happened over the summer that was narrowly won by the Leave vote. And to a lot of people's surprise, but I, I was a little less surprised. And so now, now it's the real deal. And it's been very interesting. I was a Remainer. I think that this is going to go down in history as one of the dumbest things that this country has ever done. Mm-hmm. The EU – so first of all, let's talk about the, the economy, which is – there's an economic – a very, very strong uh, economic argument that says this is a pretty bad idea. There's, an, uh, there's a, another angle, and, and we can get into that. But the, in the first instance, so right now, the UK has about half of its exports, half of what it sells goes directly to the EU. That's its biggest market. Mm-hmm. So what happens after Brexit, no one knows, but it's effectively like saying we are going to get rid of our biggest customer and then we're going to go cold calling prospects. That's effectively what they're doing because at the end of this two-year negotiating period, they won't have a market. It's very very possible that that we could have a no-deal scenario in which case the the trading relationship – goes back to what they call WTO rules, World Trade Organization rules, which means tariffs and all of this sort of stuff. So it'd be very bad for both sides. Um, the EU exports, I guess 15, 16% of its exports go into Britain. In Britain, it's nearly 50%. So there's that. 
a lot of people here, so, so you talked about faith. There was a wonderful quote by The Economist this week saying that Brexit in, is increasingly resembling a faith-based exercise. And that's what it feels like. Because no one really has, to, to my mind, has defined what Britain outside of the EU is going to look like, what it's what it's going to be as a, as a nation. And increasingly, I get the sense that people think people who voted to leave, that they think that the empire is coming back or something something like this. That sounds that sounds vaguely familiar in a yes. North American context, you know? It sounds like uh, we're bringing back the glory days of the uh, of industry with the coal movement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It sounds like uh, we're, we're making a certain country great again. Mm. Yes. It, it, you know, it's very, it's very similar. The... The demographic, I don't know what the demographic was for Trump, but the demographic here was, okay, so London voted to stay, very uh, overwhelmingly to stay. So did Scotland. The rest of the country voted to leave. If you break it down by age, the older the voter, the more likely that they would vote leave. The younger, the more likely they, they would vote to remain. The leave side got the vote out more than the remain side so they you know they took the day and the big one of the big questions here the lot of big questions one of them is what happens to scotland because we had a Scot scottish referendum a couple of years ago 55% to 45% scotland voted to stay in the uk now scotland wants to redo that process saying hey you guys are leaving the eu we want to stay in the eu we have grounds to have another referendum so there's there's even the entire question of the you know the the future of the united kingdom i see this turning into the balkans you know, yeah, every, every neighborhood be. is going to vote differently but you know i it's yes. it's funny i read an article just this week uh where they talked about uh this 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 a movement based on wishes and mm. also the idea that um, in metropolitan centers in the in the US and I'm going back to Trump now mm. in metropolitan centers where folks live integrated Muslims Christians mm. black white every color under the rainbow yeah. uh, sexual orientation they go they're okay yeah, it's when you yeah. get into the interior zones where it tends to be more homogenous well, that people go, "Oh no, heck with you! We're we don't want yes. you around. We're going to build the yes. wall." And yes. what they also found was this correlation between uh, if people feel that they won't have much to lose by voting to build a wall, that mm. is in the you know in the rust states or in the mm. in the in the wheat states. Uh, mm. they can take radical action knowing, feeling yeah. that it probably yes. will impact them. They yes. just don't think and about how it will impact them. It's very similar to what happened here. The, uh, the parts of the country that had high levels of immigration voted to stay. The ones that didn't voted to leave. And the, the, the leave camp, and this is where I think it gets very interesting in terms of politics, the, the leave camp really pushed the emotional buttons in the campaign, and the remain camp didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where this this really fell down. Uh, there was a lot of arrogance in the remain camp. Um, you, you know, very similar to I on the day, the day after Brexit, I I said um, the some in a Facebook post or something. I said the politics of populism and something or other have won the day here in the UK. 
uh, let's see what happens across the pond. Your serve United States. And that was back in that back in June. Mm-hmm. And you could see the same thing play itself out that it was a very technocratic. I had a guy named Mark Blythe on my on my podcast and your your listeners should look him up because he 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 predicted this and he he goes after technocracy. And when you and I spoke, we talked about making things complicated and story. There was a lack of story mm-hmm. in terms of the Remain camp, I think, in terms of a vision for what the United Kingdom should look like in the future. And that that vision is, you know, multilateral. It's, it's to be cooperative. It's, it's a future that's the sort of share that kind of a sentiment that didn't really come through. You couldn't in a sound bite, you couldn't talk about what remain was all about, but in leave it's take our country back. It's you know, it's funny because uh, what you what you often see is if a politician stays in power for a long enough time, mm. it's far easier to get them out based on a platform of get them out. Change, yes. What's your yeah. what's your what's your platform? Get them out. Do you have any position? Get them out. Yeah, yeah get them out. Uh, and, yeah. and and you know, it's funny you bring up this thing about the UK and and uh, you know areas where there's a lot of diversity and mingling and coming together. They voted to stay in the in the EU. Um, the and and then funnily you contrast that with bring the empire back. The empire was founded on multiple cultures. Yes. So there's there's yeah, a lot of there's a lot of uh, yeah. revisionist history yes. thinking there's, going on. Well, there is a lot of revisionist history going on and you know on the on the part of trade the the, the you know you, you hear this I I call it jingoistic bullshit. Mm-hmm. You hear a lot of this um you know we're uh, not only we're going to take our borders back, we're going to be this global Britain. Um, the EU needs us more than we need them. That is not true. Mm-hmm. But who are we going to trade with? So we can. The, the people talk about the Commonwealth. Well, the Commonwealth. I mean, if we don't have a deal in the UK with the EU, the Commonwealth countries have more of a trade agreement with the EU than we will have. So you know, it's it it it. And, and you know, trading with the Caribbean is going to – trading with Australia is going to, um, you know, replace trading with Germany and France who are just, just our, our neighbors. You know, it, it doesn't – it just defies – it defies logic for me. I think they should start sending out three masters to the colonies <laughs> and bringing back cotton. Yes. I think that, that would, <laughs> yes. that's, probably what, that's probably what they're seeing, isn't it? And the, the, you know, and there's some great. I don't. You know, and I might be in my own echo chamber on this, but you know, there's some. You know, what are we going to? What are we going to trade? What are we going to be offering the world? And one of the one of the proposals that came out a few months ago was about sort of jam and biscuits or something like this. You know, that's the future is jam and biscuits. <laughs> What's our competitive advantage? You know, it's actually financial services nowadays, and the the passporting the regulations that exist for London to be the sort of global financial hub are also at risk. So that that could go away. Um, and, and we'll see what we'll see what happens. But it, it isn't jam and biscuits. It is a problem because you have London is a, a financial services centered economy. It really drives the UK and a lot of the manufacturing has dried up in mm-hmm. in places like the north of, of England, places like Sheffield and uh, where there was, you know, very big steel industry and, and, and things like this. Very similar to the Rust Belt in the United States. And that well, those were strong leave leave uh, votes. So you're seeing the same thing happen over here where, you know, Trump just signed an order saying we are going mm. to, you know, knock out um, mm. climate controls. 
and bring the coal industry back. And uh, people are saying, well, you know, you're entitled to your opinions, yeah. but you're not entitled to your yeah. own facts. Yeah. Um, and the fact is that uh, natural gas and renewables have dropped in price so significantly yes. it ain't coming back and you know you can yeah. go to you can go to such flaky hippies as the uh the head of the coal industry mm. who say that mm-hmm. it ain't coming back yeah. and oh by the way the little bit that is coming back they said it's probably going to come back to the tune of 10% of what it was yes. the bit that's coming back is going to be uh worked by robots and machines mm. so yeah absolutely and even if it even if it didn't is that what we want? We want to work in coal mines again? We want to have black lung again? You know? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. You know, uh, it's incredible the sort of, the sort of um, uh, fear uh, that drives people to go backwards to an idealized mm-hmm. past that was actually quite crappy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. as a yeah. revolt against in the in the UK, as a revolt against Brussels and a whole bunch mm-hmm. of um, ninnies and bureaucrats at the EU headquarters, but yes. they're they're crafting an, a pretty nice yes. future right now. They they are now. Look, the 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 EU is under a bit of strain, not just from Brexit. So there, there you know, there's this sort of sentiment. So the, the other argument that you kind of hear: Wow, the EU is probably or might not exist in ten years. And, you know, you just kind of wonder, well, so your whole argument is that in maybe in 10 years time, we're not going to have the EU. It's just it's just not strong enough. But if you think about it from the perspective of the EU, okay, here's one of the major members of the club that's left. So it wants to hold itself together. And there are threats to the EU. Uh, You've got, uh, you know, Russia doesn't like the EU. Um, we have, uh, you know, Trump is now uh, not friendly to the, not as friendly to the EU as uh, Obama was. They had a trade deal that was scuppered, and so it's trying to hold itself together. So it doesn't want, you know, a, a Netherlands, uh, you know, a France, dare I say, leave. Mm-hmm. And it will do everything to punish the UK for doing what it did. You mm-hmm. can't have, as I said from the outset, you can't have the same deal or close to the same deal as you did if you were part of the, the club. And somehow, you know, people here, we're entering a, a very complicated international negotiation. And there's so many facets. It's not just trade. I mean, the, the EU is, is a you know, it's it's more than a trade agreement. It's a customs union. It's a it's a, you've got free movement of labor. So this is a this was a big sticking point that uh, you we have about three million EU nationals. And you go to London if you go to Starbucks in London if you go to a coffee shop or whatever the person serving you is from Poland or Italy or France or something like this. You go to um, you go to South Kensington in London. Like London is the sixth largest French-speaking city in the world. No way. Yeah, yeah. Or, or sixth largest French-speaking, sixth largest French city in the world. That's incredible. We've got about, I think it's half a million or something like this, French nationals living here. Um, and so the question becomes, what happens to all of these people? Now, it works both ways. So we have... so. A, a, a UK citizen can go and set up a business in France or Germany or Poland or whatever. They can set up a B&B in the south of France. And in fact, there are, uh, I think it's one and a half million Brits who live in the EU. So, and most of them live, many of them live in Spain and, you know, they 
kind of older people living on their pensions. And if you think about it, you know, the people, the EU people here, they live and work here, they pay taxes, they contribute to the economy, whereas you know, the, the reverse – Arguably, they you know they live off of their pensions and they mm-hmm. don't contribute as so we're, as much. you're going to be getting the folks back who are sitting there on their mm-hmm. pensions running up healthcare costs, and you're going to be sending yeah. home the 25 year olds who are hustling. Yeah. I just want to take a quick break in the show to remind folks that complexity isn't something that just happens to governments and political movements. It can happen to your brand as well. And if you find that your brand is a little too complicated. Check out the brand DIY.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-D-I-Y.com. If you type in DIY10 in the promo box, you'll even get a 10% discount. Let me know what you think about it, and let me know if it helps you make your brand a little less complicated. Now let's get back to the show. When I, when I look at Trump, I go, he didn't think. When he, heard, when he got a response from the audience, he said, yes. build a wall. They cheered, so he kept saying it. And yes. so he doesn't have a clue what that entails. Did Bor- yeah. Boris and Nigel, they didn't have a clue what it entailed. Well, I, I, I think Nigel did. Yeah. I think Boris, that was just a power play. He wanted to become prime minister. Yeah. And I was listening to uh, an interview with uh, Ken Livingston, who's a former mayor of London, and he was talking about a, a dinner or a lunch he had with uh, with Boris Johnson a, a few – maybe it was a couple of years ago. But he said all the guy talked about was becoming prime minister. And this was his way. He wrote – he famously wrote these two letters. He was deliberating whether it was to leave or to stay, and he wrote two letters to himself. And they were arguing each position, and then he landed on on leaving, and he joined he joined the Leave side. He's got a lot of charisma, so that certainly helped the the Leave camp. But then, you know, the, it was just became this House of Thrones, mm-hmm. uh, Machiavellian, you know, knife backstabbing festival at the end of the Brexit vote in which it was was supposed to be Boris. And then he said, well, I'm not, um, I'm not going to be a, a prime minister. And then Gove came in and, and he, he, and then it was, you know, Theresa May, who was a, who was a remainer who, who assumed the helm. Mm-hmm. But what, what I just question whether or not it makes sense at all to have a referendum on something as complicated as membership in the EU it's you know we, in addition to trade and immigration we have agreements around healthcare agreements around science and education cooperation between universities we have defense and security arrangements it's it's an incredibly complicated relationship there are so many programs there there are actually a lot of towns and cities that benefit from the EU's development spending that voted leave mm-hmm. they didn't have a clue and what's good, they didn't have a clue no and you know you're you're asking the average voter to opine on all of this on the basis of one simple question it just to me that we have representative democracy because we elect someone to know and learn about the laws and what's going on and we elect them to inform themselves about what's happening to make those kinds of decisions i don't think that a referendum like this makes you know made much much sense well it comes back down to um you know i just came back from the states and uh the big deal there before the big deal Mm. of uh coal mining and climate uh knocking out the climate controls Mm. was obamacare 
And yeah. so they've worked for years and years and years and years to knock out Obamacare. They get their chance, and finally they defeat the president on Obamacare. Yes. They just defeated yeah. the wrong president. <laughs> um, but it was one of those things where, uh, you know, people in the States said, I want my affordable health care. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, that's Obamacare. No, I'm going to get rid of Obamacare. I'm going to keep affordable health care. Yes. They're going, do you it's realize the it's thing. the same thing? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, they don't, yeah. they don't yeah. even realize that. And you go, uh, you know, the Trump, uh, Trump nation has, has mm-hmm. brought in this ideology that anyone who's an expert – uh, should be mm-hmm. thrown out. And that sounds like Pol Pot. You know, they used to yeah. shoot the teachers. Well, uh, yeah. And so anybody who's smart in government is a mm. bad guy. And you're going, mm. folks, you don't understand government. That's why you hire the experts. You don't, yeah. you don't have an, you, I'm, I'm somebody from the street, therefore I should be fixing yes. your car. No, you hire yes. a mechanic. Yeah, I'm going to learn how to do brain surgery from YouTube or something like that. You know, we had a similar thing. Michael Gove um, the, was uh, one of the leaders of the Leave camp, and he famously said, "This country's had enough of experts." Because what came out was, well, what are the predictions? What's going to happen with you know with Brexit and blah blah blah, and uh, you know all these economic forecasts that you know, Bank of England came out. Mark Carney's Canadian, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they came out um, saying it would not be good. All the major political parties, the major universities, and and his response was simply, this country's had enough of experts. What does that mean? That's just uh, unbelievable. But yes. I, yeah, you, you know, maybe people are just so afraid of constantly feeling like they're one operating system behind. Mm. And they're, they're, we're, we're so well, afraid of feeling stupid all the time. And the world has gotten so much more complex mm. than we can possibly fathom. And we just want simple days where we used to, instead of have, you know, in Nintendo, we used to have balsa wood airplanes that we used to wind up the rubber band and fly. Maybe yeah. that's what they're looking for. Well, I think, I think there's something to that. I think that people like Trump, it's very, they're very seductive because we talk about risk and uncertainty and he offers certainty. You know, I, only I can fix it, Right. These kinds of things are very seductive because you know, cut through all the crap that I don't want to spend my time trying to figure out. This guy's, you know, uh, this guy is telling me that it's going to be, you know, fine, and and um, and then he can fix it. He can make America great again. And it's, you know, it's very similar to to what's what's happened here. Good experts are not soothsayers. Good experts are people that tell you the sort of pros and cons, and they might give you some scenarios based on some probabilities and, and things like this. I don't know. Do you know Dan Gardner at all? No. He's a Canadian. Uh, he wrote a book called Future Babble. And I don't th- know if it's his study that he cites in the book or – I don't think it is. But it's a study that was done of experts and predictions and whether or not predictions – You know, what, what makes a good predictor, mm-hmm. good forecaster? And famously – Predictions are are wrong. It's a very dangerous game in the world of risk. And if you take a look, if you take a look at uh, oil price charts, and you look at the point in time in which the prediction was made, you can see that when the oil price was down here at fifty dollars a barrel, the the experts would say, well, it's it'll be slowly rising from that point. And when it was up at one hundred and fifty, same thing. The, you could draw a line, and it's always the, you know the, the prediction was. Um, you know, slightly going up from the point that we are. So Mm -hmm. predictions depend on the point of time in which the predictions are made. And what's difficult is that, you know, we want that sort of binary thinking, tell Mm -hmm. me what will happen. And most, so if you take those kinds of predictions, this study, 
found that they were often wrong or not actually worse off than, you know, again, the monkey throwing the darts at the dartboard. Mm-hmm. However, if you take a look at more nuanced expert predictions, people that say, well, on the one hand, if this happens, then we could see this sort of thing. On the other hand, if that sort of happened, we could see that sort of thing. Those types of expert prognostications do much better mm-hmm. because there's nuance in, in, involved. And but you have to wade through the nuance. So I think there's something happening. I think a couple of things are happening. One is that there's a lot of information out there. So people get overwhelmed. So that, that sort of, uh, there is that, that, uh, that phrase overwhelm, dealing with overwhelm, too much information. You just, you know, you go and look at nutrition information. Are blueberries mm-hmm. good for you, right? Maybe sure, they are, maybe you know, they're not. Maybe, yeah. I'm sure in the, in the main they probably are, but then, you know, you'll, you'll probably go and you'll find some, something that says, wow, but pesticides and, you know, so, and it becomes very, you know, it becomes overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that makes people like Trump and people who parrot these kinds of, uh, these kinds of, this kinds of nonsense is very seductive. Well, so it's, it's a, it's on. a, it's a, it's a Hollywood sort of trope, you know, the, the black hat, mm-hmm. white hat, there is the yeah. good cowboy and he's good yeah. and there's a bad yeah. cowboy and he's bad. And, yeah. uh, the world is that simple, but the experts have yeah. managed to obfuscate and complicate yes. because they want to put the money in their pockets. There's, there's an industry around expertise. That's the other thing that's, that's, that's happened, I think. So people do pay money for, for these kinds of predictions, and they don't pay that much money for nuance, right? Yeah. Uh, but the nuance is where it's at. The, the shades of gray is where it's at and, and, and where you have to, you know, if you, if you want to get a better feel for any sort of controversial topic or topic that involves some ambiguity or uncertainty, you need to wade into the nuance. And the EU was all about that, was all about that. It's, uh, I think, said it, a very incredibly complicated relationship. I guess the other thing uh, that is happening is social media and the echo chamber effect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the fact that, well, we can, we can achieve uh, massive amounts of confirmation bias by getting involved in, you know, social media groups and sharing of, of, uh, of information with, with each other. I talked about echo chambers. That's exactly what, uh, what, where I think some of these, this fake news comes from, you know, people share news without looking at the sources and, and just believing the headline. And I think that's a, that's a major problem. Um, critical thinking is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're losing that as a skill, it seems to me. So I want to I want to shift gears here. Mm. I want to finish by shifting gears. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, because we could go on forever talking about mm-hmm. where this is going, um, and we don't know. We don't. And know we exactly, don't know. But, and and yeah. so it just becomes again. It doesn't become expert uh, mm-hmm. prognostications because you just go. Mm-hmm. There are too many variables. I had yeah. to laugh yeah. inside when you were mm-hmm. talking about. Uh, they're saying in 10 years this could spell the end of the EU. I'm going right. in 10 years. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Te- I don't even want to. Who fathom knows? What's and they've been saying that about the EU months. for a long time. Yeah, it's... they've been saying that for a long time. And there are pressures on the EU. EU, make no mistake about it. It's not perfect. The you know the situation with Greece and um, mm-hmm. Portugal and the haves and the have-nots is very complicated. But to say that the EU is not going to exist in ten years, who can say that? Right? Who can say? Yeah, and and it's just um, I, I also love headlines that say experts worried. You're going. Mm. Wait a minute. That goes right <laughs> That's back. That's their job. In. Yeah, they're they're worried, and you're going. Well, should I be worried now, or is yeah. anything actually happening? No, they're just worried. Yeah. Just, but should I worry? Yeah. Yes, you should worry yeah. too. Um, but I want to pull this back because mm. what I do for a living is help people simplify what mm. they say to the public, 
And mm-hmm. what we're seeing is this tension between a world gotten more complex mm-hmm. and this yearning that we have to make things simpler. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what, are, what do you think? Is there any hope for us to, to, to make simpler communication? Or is this leading to, again, a referendum, a yes-no, based on five million factors that you mm-hmm. could never mm-hmm. hope to yeah. understand? Yeah. Is there hope for making this simple, or do we just give up and say it just is complicated? <laughs> I think there is hope for making it simpler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, first of all, I think one of the things, just come back to critical thinking. You can cut through bullshit fairly quickly. <laughs> I think for most most people, it's just you know what are the sources. If someone makes some outrageous claims. You can ask yourself a few questions, you know, what's the basis of that? What's the logic behind that? And so you can – I think these things are compatible, but there's a yin and a yang to it uh, that you have to have a compelling story if you want to go back to brands and go back to the, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the Brexit vote. A compelling story where people said, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I get that. But if you kind of probe between this, you know, there's something, there's some substance there. We can look mm-hmm. at the substance and, um, and, and those, those critical thinking skills, I think are where we're, we're, we're lacking a bit, but making something simpler to start a conversation is a very good thing. It's a very, very powerful thing. And I think experts, so we go back to experts do struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, you can't, you, I used to work in the, in risk in mining and oil and gas. And, uh, one of the things that I, w- I worked in sort of social environmental and political risk. And one of the things I found was that, um, so some of the sort of big oil and gas and mining companies, they actually did a lot of work on the environment in terms of, you know, if you're a shell or you're a, uh, you know, uh, a major oil and gas um, company or a big mining company, and you're working somewhere remote, they would uh, they would actually do they would study it a lot. Certainly, a lot more than a smaller company would or a local company would. Uh, but where they they really struggled a lot was they would they would present the science, the detailed science to their you know local communities or to to whoever. And uh, and that just never that never went uh, went down very well because it's complicated stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all have the ability to to question and to ask simple questions and use some logic. And that, mm-hmm. to me, is no different from telling a compelling story. But you, we have to have a dialogue. It's not, you know, as long as the, the, the compelling story uh, is, is uh, backed up by, it doesn't have to be a million facts, but some, something that kind of holds it, holds it together. Uh, I was reminded of something that I came across in terms of, I guess that it, it, you might be more familiar. You will, you would be more familiar than I would about this, but the sales process nowadays, so we have multiple touch points mm-hmm. with customers, right? Right. And, uh, you, let's say you're looking to buy something big, you'll, you'll go, you know, you go to a, a website, it might be a car, it might be what, whatever, a, a bicycle, a you know, big road bike, a, a expensive road mm-hmm. bike as I do. And you'll go and you talk to the, talk to people who have the same product. And then you'll talk, you you, you go to the forums that, uh, the, the brand has and, and it's a dialogue, right? So you can have, 
you can have simplicity. You, you can oversimplify, but as long as you can you can simplify to the point where I, you and I can have an exchange, mm-hmm. where whereby we're I'm probing and you're you know you're you're responding and, and vice versa, and we're trying to match. Then I think the the power of story and messages are uh, are are very important, very valuable. Now it's it's interesting. I was I was I was uh, doing a workshop yesterday. And one of the people at the workshop was uh, with Amazon, and uh, we talked about the complexity of this thing that we're creating. And I was pulling my hair out, going, "How are we going to simplify this?" Mm. And he said, "Well, let me tell you about Amazon. The thing about Amazon is that it's hyper complex." And mm-hmm. if you ask people, why do you like answer, uh, Amazon, uh, you'll probably come up with, for 10 people, you'll come up with 10 different answers. It costs mm-hmm. less, you have more selection, there's better reviews, mm-hmm. there's star systems, there's referrals, and, and sort of like we anticipate what you're going to want to buy next, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, free shipping. Yeah. Um, but it all comes back down to, uh, you know, that... Amazon understands that deep, uh, different people have different versions of simplicity. Mm. So my version of simplicity is I bought a book and I'd like to know what other book I'd like to buy. Mm. That's my version of a happy place. Other mm-hmm. people know that the Amazon lowest price guarantee is their happy place and that's their yes. simple. And yes. the beauty of our sales process and our brand process today is that I can create micro brand promises for different sectors of the sure. population. Yeah. And wrap them together in one website, mm. which mm. even 15 years ago or 10 years ago would have been unimaginably complex. So mm-hmm. you could take, uh, you know, information on a hyper complex issue, you know, the United States economy, uh, Brexit, uh, the future of the EU, and you could micro package issues mm. Uh, based on people's idea of simplicity and give them clear facts and simple words, but on a million different topics. And they can take a kayak search, as it were, to that minuscule topic that they want to explore and get clear answers, which would guide them to a better, clear yes or no. Absolutely. And the Swiss do this on referendums, referenda. The Swiss have a lot of, lot of referenda. And referenda. They, they, referenda. Referenda is a re- referenda, <laughs> See, we, as soon as we lost Latin, <laughs> everything yeah. went to hell. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and th- that's how they do it. They do it on small, smaller issues where, you know, the, the, both sides of the argument are understandable and you, you, you can come in with the, with the facts and uh, you make a decision one way or the other. Yeah. Something has caught. So, if you had a refer- referendum on Amazon, if you could do that, I yeah, it wouldn't work, right? Yeah. So, uh, should we should we have or should we should we continue to have or should we stop having the current Amazon website? Yeah. Right. That's that's effectively what they've done with Brexit. You know, it's a. Well, how do you answer that question? That's a. Well, what's the and, what and are the alternatives? Put, it's funny because when you put it in that context. You go, that is the stupidest question I've yeah, ever exactly. heard. Yeah, exactly. You know, but then they put it in yeah. context of a whole country. Yeah. People go, yeah. 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 It was a, should we stay or should we leave? Okay, well, what does leaving mean? Uh, we're just, it's going to be great. You we're just, just wait. It's going to be great. It's going to, we're going to get yeah. so tired of yeah. winning like Donald Trump. Yes. Ben, yes. I want to I dial in uh, mm-hmm. to your podcast because you've got a terrific podcast. Mm. Uh, where do I Thank go you. to find that? 
allthingsrisk.co.uk. Awesome. And you can find that. What I do is I have long-form conversations. I use the lenses of risk, uncertainty, and resilience to cover all kinds of topics. You were my guest on episode 43. And it's uh, it's just long-form conversations, and it's, uh, it's it's been a lot of fun for me. And you can find it on you know wherever you can find good, good podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, all those places. Awesome, man. Ben Catano, folks, thank you very, very much for coming aboard. Thanks, Mark. Pleasure to be on your show. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email at mark, M-A-R-C, at markstoiber.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-E.